Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, we have a great interview today that I'm excited for the listener to hear, but it is an, it's an interesting one. It's a it's a different one in the sense that I feel like everything with these, all the stories in the sexual betrayal series, um, it, it's, it, it can be, I imagine, daunting and intimidating to share the, these int- most intimate parts of your life, especially your, these failures or these mistakes. Oh, for sure. And, and, and so, you know, obviously all of these folks that we're interviewing, I think uh, are just they're demonstrating a considerable amount of courage to share this, but Sarah in particular, she's taken it to a whole nother level. Yeah. I just feel like I'm, I was, I'm kind of in awe of it, to be honest with you. And I'm in all of it for a couple of reasons. One, because she didn't necessarily have, uh, unlike some of the other interviewees that we were having in the series, she didn't necessarily have a public platform. And when you have a public platform and then you have a, you know, a, a mistake that's this public or a sin that's this public, then obviously your restoration process has to be public as well. And so I can see how there are a lot of people that would, yeah. they would begin to share their restoration process and they would, and they would, you know, and almost naturally turn that around into a ministry. Right. But Sarah could have easily, she could easily just bury this. She could have. Yeah. I think this, that's what makes this interview so incredible is that the courage and the humility that Mm -hmm. she um, presents when she shares is, is so admirable. It's just incredible. Well, it's, it's courageous for a few reasons. One, yes, because she's, she's sharing it and, um, and, and she'll talk about why in the interview she decided to share this and to go to this next step. But, um, but two, because of the nature of it, and I, I don't want to give too much of the interview or the story away, but um, her affair had to do with a, her affair was with a pastor, her pastor. And so I can, I can see how particularly in church culture, this could be an extremely scandalous thing that would easily throw the scarlet A on her head. Yeah. And over her life and and how the enemy could use this to really shame, you know, cause shame to dance over her life and say, you are not going to be able to have an impact for the kingdom. And yet the courage that she has to step in and go, um, I'm going to face that shame and I'm going to um, give voice to something that is definitely not talked about a whole lot in church or outside of church. And, um, and so, I mean, just, man, I'm just really, I'm, I'm proud of her for doing this. Um, I'm excited to see what God does, uh, through her story and in your heart, as you listen to this interview, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And something else that I'm looking forward to is, um, Julie is going to, Julie Dodson will be coming uh, at the end of this interview mm-hmm. for our counselor spot. And you may have uh, listened to her episode. It was episode 70. So if you're interested um, in what her story is, feel free to go back and listen to it. But uh, I'm looking forward just to hearing what Julie has to say um, after she hears Sarah's story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mel, we started a new platform last week 
that we uh, shared with you guys, and that is nothingiswasted.com slash stories. And this is a way for us to continue to share great stories and to continue to give you an opportunity to step up and demonstrate courage in the same way that Sarah has mm. by um, by exposing the different parts of your life, whether it be mistakes, sin, failures, or whether it be trial, tragedy, transition that you're going through and uh, allowing that testimony to minister to other people. And so we would love to hear your stories. We are getting inundated with stories. And so we wanted to make sure we provided an opportunity for other people to hear these stories because they, they definitely minister to us when we get emails, when we hear your story and we're like, man, this is amazing. And yes. sometimes we're able to feature those stories on the podcast, but, um, but sometimes we're not. And we still want those stories to get broadcasted so that it can minister to other people. So this is a way for that to happen. Uh, if you go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories, there's an there's a way for you to share your story and a way for you to read and absorb some of these other stories that are going on. And so make sure you do that. We'd love for you to jump on there while you're at it. Follow us on Instagram, Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, because this is where we're going to be featuring uh, these stories. And yep, so, exactly. Well, Davey, I have some other good news to share with everyone today, and that is that the Israel trip is now open to everyone. Um, Ooh. Yes, it's so exciting. We invited all of our Nothing Is Wasted past guests. We um, opened it up to our monthly partners. And now October 10th, um, when this episode airs, you now have the ability to join us in Israel yep. in 2020. So it's going to yep. be super exciting. So um, nothingiswasted.com slash Israel, nothingiswasted.com slash Israel. You can go there and you can uh, get the link or you can find it on our, all of the links that we've done on Facebook, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So yeah. make sure you yeah. register. So for you, maybe the application for you to have courage today is just sign up and go with us, you know? That's yes. Be fun. Yeah. It doesn't take a lot uh, of courage to go to Israel because it actually is a very safe place. It's is very, it really? It okay. is, yeah. That's okay. one of the primary questions people ask. They're like, is it safe? And it is. And it, the reason it's safe is because their primary form of economy, their 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 economic engine is tourism. Interesting. And so they See, want it. Yeah. And so it's, no it's all in the media. It's all this like propaganda in the media that Israel's not safe. It's very safe. So wow. definitely come with us. That's crazy. Well, if you get a chance to rate and review us, please go ahead and do so. But I do have a great review that I want to share with you guys today. Um, this is from one of our listeners, and they said, Our family has been walking through a long season of loss and illness for 19 years, and God regularly encourages us through the stories of those who persevere and find His strength and weakness. We look forward to the in-depth interviews on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, finding gems of insight and practical wisdom for living honestly with grief, grief while rejoicing in our eternal hope. Thank you, Davey, and all the courageous interviewees who are willing to comfort others with the comfort you yourselves have received. We know there is a cost to bearing and sharing burdens, and we pray that the Lord will bless each of you. Oh, that's so good. Thank you for sending that in. Wow. See, this is the theme. This is the theme. Courage I know. is the theme. It I just keeps, the it's thing. this thread that keeps coming through in our, in our inter introduction right here. So courage. That's great. Well, let's check out your interview with Sarah. Sarah, great to have you on the podcast. Thanks yeah. so much for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So you drove up for this. This is awesome. You are from Louisville, or at least that's where you live right now. Yeah. But tell me about 
your life, your family, what you do, kind of where you guys are home-based right now? Yeah. So I moved to Louisville about five years ago, originally from Chicago. Um, just got married about 10 months ago. So I guess we're what you would consider newlyweds. Yeah. We're in that fun season where every time I say I'm sick or tired, someone asks me if I'm pregnant. <laughs> not pregnant. Sorry, mom. Um, uh, but that's so, wait, you pregnant? Wait. No, not pregnant. As far as I know, no babies. Uh. Um. But yeah, so we live in Louisville and I work right now part-time as a nanny. I have two families that I get to care for their kids and cool. just be in their homes and in their lives. And then I work part-time as an early childhood consultant, Wow! which is just a really fancy way to say that like I'm somebody's assistant that um, owns a bunch of daycares. Um, wow. So I do all things kid related. Yeah. I used to be a foster mom before I got married. And okay. so, you know, we'll step into that. I promised my husband a year before I add any other kids or babies to our home. So we're coming up on that. Um, so wow. we'll start to have those conversations, but... So are you guys considering fostering even before you have your own kids or while you have your own kids or... I would say yes. Okay. My husband's a little bit more nervous. So there's a couple other programs that are local to Louisville that we've talked about diving into. Um, we do a lot of like respite care right now and that yeah. kind of stuff. So um, kind of trying to get his feet wet in it and kind of expose him to it in a, yeah. in a positive way. How does so, he feel about it? Yeah, we'll see. He's nervous. He's great <laughs> with kids. Right but he's nervous. Yeah. So, which is real. I mean, that's a lot to open up your home and, you know, expose yourself to that kind of stuff. So, and it's hard, yeah. it hurts, but, um, it's still beautiful. Yeah. Do you have a background in early childhood? Is that what you studied in school or what? I didn't study that, that in school. Pretty much my entire life. All I've done is work with kids, Okay. like daycares, babysitting, nannying. Yeah. Uh, so it's just kind of what, not what my degree is in, oddly enough, I have a degree to be a paralegal, not okay. made for a desk job. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, all things kids is just kind of where we're at and That's what we cool. do right now. Yeah. Well, my mom is um, an, the dean of early childhood development at a community college. Awesome. So she's been in that world for as long as I've known her. Okay. She was a teacher for a long time. Yeah. And then we lived in Birmingham, Alabama for 10 years, basically the time I was seven until I was 17. And she ran the daycare out of our church. Cool. And so started that up, ran it, did all of that stuff. So she's Love always it. been in that early childhood development stage, yeah. which so is a blessing it. and a curse. A little bit. Because you have like, oh, wow, mom's got some really good insight on raising kids and all that stuff. And it's like, oh, wow, mom's got a lot of insight on raising kids and stuff. And so <laughs> it's the double-sided coin right there. Well, I so. think our fear is like when we go to have kids, how do you name your kid when you're around and have raised everybody else's kids your entire life? Yes. You're like, oh, how about Jack? No, I knew a Jack. Yeah. How about Susie? Uh, no, we I knew a Susie. We were just having a conversation. So like, how do you even name your, your my poor kids? Who even knows know. what their names are going to be? That's so funny. We were just with them. <laughs> my mom's a podcast listener, so, so hi, mom. But we were just we were just with them a, a couple weeks ago on vacation and, you know, Christy and I are pregnant, so yeah. we were talking about names. And it was like, literally, it was like, oh, I know this, I know this person. And she was, you know, kind of joining Telling those stories. Oh, I know this one as well. This person right here. And yes. It's so funny how that's the case. Wow. So early childhood, that's kind of your your niche. Now you're serving at a church right now in Louisville, right? Yeah. So kid stuff is kind of what I do for money, for a paycheck, um, but moved to Louisville to help start a church, yeah. help a church plant. So we just celebrated five years. Congratulations. And yeah. It's kind of a big deal, yeah. but love the local church, love just, we've fallen in love with the city of Louisville. So just kind of serving our community and just loving the people in yeah. our circle and the people that we have the opportunity to influence is kind of what we do when we're not working. That's cool. Now, are you serving in kids ministry in your church? I just got out of it. Okay. 
five, almost five years. Wow. And I just stepped out of that role. Um, and now I get to be a part of our speaking and our teaching team, cool. which is just nuts that God would even like allow yeah. me to do that. Um, but yeah, I did it for the first five years. Kids ministry is no joke. Um, pray for kids ministry yeah. leaders because it's hard work. Well, I'm glad you guys have, even as like a you know newer church, you have a speaking and teaching team yes. that you're developing that early in the, the process of starting a church because there's so many churches that don't. And then it becomes built around kind of one I don't know how and, people do it regularly. Oh, it's... Like, it's like preparing a message is like, I don't think I could do it every week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's nuts. It's so. definitely tough. And so it's really great that he's bringing people in on the process of that early. And uh, exciting that you be, get to be a part yeah, of that. Yeah, I love... It terrifies me, but I absolutely love it. Yeah. So... I was curious about the early childhood and kids ministry thing because it seemed like every time as a church planter, we had somebody come in with that kind of experience. We'd be like, you need serving kids. It's like... Nobody even like asked me. It was just like, well, this assumed you do kids, so you're gonna do kids, and then I did. Um, Uh, So now you get now you get a little bit of respite. I get to be in grown up church. (laughs) In grown up church. Oh, that's so true. That's we could have a whole episode on how kids volunteers never get to be fed because they're constantly serving. That's so so true. You're you're so uh, probably the most underappreciated role within a church plant. Yeah. I think we like talk about stories of like our launch days in the first couple of years of our church. And I sit in those meetings. I mean, I was a part of the church from before the church launched. Yeah. I have no memory of those meetings mm. because I was always in kids church. I'm like, I can't relate to this at all. Like I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Cause I think the first two years I didn't, I just served. I didn't, yeah. you know, spend time in service, mm. um, but it's paid off. I and mean, now we have a great team, faithful volunteers, um, an awesome core team. So that's great. It just kind of works, you know, that's great. Well, Sarah, you, um, are one of those folks who actually reached out to us and shared your story with us. Who does that? And a lot of people do. Okay. <laughs> and we love it. We love All when right. people do. Well, thanks and for so, picking me. Yeah. Well, you know, it was just, it was a story that to us was like, man, this is a, this is a hard story, a tragic story, a story that, um, is probably a conversation that most people would shy away from. And so um, I was just uh, really intrigued as to the fact that you're stepping into sharing this story. Yeah. And so I appreciate you doing that. Um, but why don't you take us back uh, kind of to the start of your story and begin to, to let our listeners in on some of what, what unfolded. Yeah. So candidly, this is only the second time I've shared this part of my story publicly. Wow. So who even knows what I'm going to say or what we're going to get into. Mm. Um, but I'm kind of like a nothing is off limits girl. Um, so hopefully whatever we talk about, we'll just bless people and encourage people. Um, but it kind of, I think it's worth kind of going back to the beginning and mentioning a little bit of like how I grew up before we get to the point of like what we're really going to dive into today. So, um, I grew up in the South suburbs of Chicago and growing up, both my parents were drug addicts. Mm. Now, if you talk to them, they probably wouldn't use that language or they probably wouldn't say the word addict, but I don't remember a time in my childhood where drugs and alcohol weren't a part of our home or wasn't a part of, you know, just our everyday life. Um, now my parents worked very hard. So on the outside, um, had a great, you know, roof over our head, food on the table. They worked really hard, but then they played really hard. Mm. So on the outside to everybody, we looked just like a normal family, but on the inside, it was a whole different ball game. So it was like working hard during the week and then the weekends was like party like yeah, crazy. Yeah, nights, and, weekends. Wow. I mean, everything. I just, I don't really remember a time yeah. where there wasn't like a beer can in somebody's hand or some kind of substance being passed around. But to me, that was my normal. So I didn't really yeah. know any different. And then I think it's probably really common that when you grow up in that, 
it kind of makes sense that that's going to become a part of your story as well. So was first exposed to drugs like personally around the age of nine, Wow, which is super scary and super young. And you think about some of the kids in your life and you're just like, I can't even imagine that being a part of their life or yeah. these kids I nanny for of like that being, Oh, I know, you know, it's, it's terrifying. I know our daughter turns six this weekend and that's not that far removed. You're no. like, Wow. It's crazy. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. So well, do you mind sharing that, what that exposure was? Do you? Yeah. So just because, I mean, my entire family, so extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, I have a lot of cousins that are older than me. And so I'd spend a lot of time with them and they were the first ones to introduce me to drugs. It started with marijuana, yeah. um, you know, kind of just casually one summer afternoon. And then it just kind of, you know, I didn't touch it for a while after that. It was kind of a first scary experience. I remember going swimming and just being in the pool and just completely freaking out. Cause mm. you, I mean, at nine, like you have no idea like you're not in control of your own body or right. like what's happening. Um, so after that, I didn't touch it for a while. And then around like 13, 14, 15 is kind of when I really started to dive into it myself. Mm -hmm. And then from then until I was 21, I struggled with an addiction. 10 days after my 21st birthday, I went into um, a residential a Christ Center program, Mercy Ministries. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever heard of it. Okay. It's now called Mercy Multiplied but it's a free Christ-centered program for just for women. And they take in girls that struggle with addiction, self-harm, eating disorders, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I spent six months in one of their homes. And that's really where I, you know, experienced freedom from that addiction mm. and really just kind of came to know the Lord for my own. I'd been exposed to him before, but it was more of like a get out of hell right. type of relationship right. into like, then I was really just like immersed into like, this is who God is. This is what he's done for you. Like, um, and just came to know him for myself. Yeah. And that's really what, I mean, what changed like the course of my life and what helped me fight that addiction. Wow. So, um, yeah, I think all that's worth mentioning. That's not the part of my story that we're going to talk about today, mm. but it plays a part in kind of the rest of it. Yeah. So I think it's yeah. worth mentioning a little bit. So that was just after your 21st birthday. Yeah. You end up going through this, essentially a faith-based rehab um, and then, you know, that was there in Chicago, Southside. No. Or? So the home I was in was in St. Louis. Okay. In St. So Louis. So moved away from everything and everybody gotcha. was kind of put in like a Jesus bubble. Yeah. Quite honestly, just immersed in, um, just the word of God Yeah. in so many different ways. Wow. And so then after that, did you go back to Chicago? What, what happens after that? Yeah. So as you kind of leave the program, there's a team of people, like a care team that take care of you. And their job is to kind of help you enter back into like normal life. Right. So they're going to help you find a local church. They're going to help you find an accountability partner, you know, hopefully a safe place to live. And now if you back up a little bit before I went to Mercy, um, I was plugged into this church and I had babysat for a long time. We talked about how, you know, I've only ever done kid stuff. Right. So I had babysat for my pastor and his family um, from the time their kids were like two years old until they were like nine and older. Yeah. So pretty much my entire like adolescence. And so when I first, and they knew of like my parents and my background and they just kind of loved me, like took me into their family, really just, we never really talked about it. I don't know if like CPS was like a thing then because mm. there was a lot of people that knew the environment I was growing up in, but no one ever did anything about it, right, right. which is kind of interesting to me now, like knowing what I know. Um, but they just kind of stayed close. They just loved me and kind of, you know, took me in. And so when I really started to struggle, I had reached out to them first and said, Hey, like I'm battling with this addiction. Like I want to get over it. Like I want to be better than this. I don't want to be like my family, um, which now I need to mention just to like love on my parents. They don't struggle with addiction anymore. Mm. So they're completely removed from wow. that. And so God's been so good to do that. I don't want to like 
shine this light like they're awful people or something um, because they're not. So we've all kind of, yeah, praise the Lord. You know, broken that curse Mm -hmm. and have moved on from that. But so when I reached out to this family, they were like, hey, they had lived like 45 minutes away from my parents' house. And they were like, come and live with us. Mm. Now I was, I was super close to them, traveled with them, was in their home all the time. Um, just, you know, whatever, super, they were family. Right. That's what they were. And so I was like, okay, cool. They lived about 45 minutes away. So I'm like, yeah, this is going to work. This is far away. But so we kind of attacked the outside and, um, but we didn't attack the inside. Mm. So I removed myself from the people and the places and the familiarities of using, we didn't do any, we weren't doing any heart work. Any heart, yeah, so it didn't wow. last. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then through a series of events, found Mercy, ended up applying, got into their program. And so when I was coming home from Mercy, my team there felt very strongly that I was not supposed to go back and live with this family. Mm. And I just kind of young and ignorant, like I didn't know any better. And really like, I felt like the two choices I was faced with were like, okay, go back to my parents' house, like right back into like my childhood bedroom, like where there's drugs in the home Mm -hmm. or go back and live with this family that's been nothing but good for me or to me. And I mean, they had like paid all my bills when I was gone so I could leave Mm -hmm. and took over my car payment. Like, I mean, they did a lot for me. My counselor specifically was like, Sarah, if you go back, this is what's going to happen. And I was like, you're nuts. Mm -hmm. That is not going to happen. That's crazy. And so I chose to go back. So they saw some some signs. Just yeah, of, some of the things that I had shared in counseling yeah, or whatever. Some dysfunction and, there that would have really been detrimental yeah. to you. Yeah. Okay. And so I chose to go back. Mm. And then, you know, it took me six months to overcome that drug addiction and to find some freedom. And it took me about six months to lose it all. Mm. Wow. So you went back into this family that had taken care of you and six months later you're diving right back into drugs. Yeah. Why? What was the catalyst for that to um, diving back into drugs. Yeah. So this is the the tough stuff. Yeah. This is the stuff we're here to talk about. Um, within six months of coming home, I started to have an affair with my pastor, mm. which is also the man that I was living with. Yeah. Um, in his home with his wife and his children, we started have, having an affair, having an intimate physical relationship. Mm. Um yeah, that's really heavy. It's yeah. hard to say to say out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's where it started. Yeah. You talked about your counselor, obviously, kind of seeing some signs of this. What were those signs of it beforehand? What was the what were the the kind of the flashing red light indicators that your counselor was like, hold on a second, this would not be helpful for you? Yeah, I think so that family they had a lot of their own just kind of hurt and trauma and dysfunction. There was a lot of mental health issues. I don't know if issues is the right word, but also some like previous infidelity in their marriage. It was just a really toxic environment. And I shared a lot of that openly, you know, cause I was a big part of like taking care of their kids in that and being there in crisis situations when somebody else would leave or somebody would move out of the home. And I mean, their kids were babies at the time. And so I shared a lot of that with my counselor because a lot of it is like, okay, let's go through family history. And I'm like, well, do you want to talk about my biological family or do you want to talk about this other family that I'm mixed up in? And so we would talk about all of it. And so it really was just like, it wasn't drugs and alcohol, but it was still super toxic and unhealthy. And so I think a lot of that was a big part of it. Um, Just knowing that their marriage wasn't stable, it wasn't healthy, having another young female in the home, you know, those kind of things. Right. To the degree that you feel comfortable sharing 
how did how did it begin to transpire when you moved back in and you know you began having this affair with you know your, uh, your pastor essentially yeah. and this family that somebody is, I honestly consider like a dad yeah exactly. which just makes it like a next level of that's kind of gross <laughs> well just yeah talk to me a little bit about how that began to transpire what were the the things that were going on in your heart and your mind maybe some of the lies the enemy was telling you in that season to to kind of propel you into that yeah right that's a good question so I think honestly kind of my whole life I mean my dad was around he was in the picture a great dad but I always felt like I had to earn his like time or his attention mm. just because he was distracted. I mean, he had his own issues right. going on, his own stuff. Um, and so, you know, fast forward into high school and boys and, you know, trying to get guys attention. And he, it was a lot of that. I mean, he was, you know, one, he took care of me, but he mm -hmm. was telling me, you know, what I wanted to hear and, you know, just how I think because he was unhappy in his marriage, I, you know, just like, you know, you love the church and you love the Lord and you're a faithful servant and you love my kids and my family and you're everything I want in a woman that I can't have. Mm. Um, so those, I mean, he was feeding me those kind of things. And I think after, you know, I was just sober for six months. Mm -hmm. So I'm still kind of like out of my element, like who am I kind of figuring myself out. And then you have this person that you love and you respect that is showing you all this attention, yeah. you know, and then also confiding in you and how unhappy in his own relationship that is, that he is, you know, that mm -hmm. he's in. And so I just, it all kind of took over. Yeah. Honestly, it wow. just, yeah, it just kind of took over and it just kind of snowballed into a whole thing. Wow. How long was this, how long was it going on? So or, originally it probably was like three or four months before his wife had found out. Okay. Um, and then once she had found out, she kind of made it public, oh, um, wow. which that's a day I'll never forget. Yeah. Talk, um, talk to me about that I, if you feel comfortable. So I was dog sitting for a family staying at their house. It was a Saturday night and my dad called and he said, can you tell me why all your stuff was just dropped off on our front porch? Like my bed, TV, dresser, like everything. Oh, wow. And I knew instantly you know, cause I knew what I was doing. I knew right. it was wrong. I knew I was, you know, the secret life that we had built, all these things are happening. And so I knew instantly and I was like, dad, I can't talk to you right now. Like I'll talk to you later. Mm. And I just hung up the phone and I just, I don't, I don't remember like the next couple, like minutes, hours after that, like what had happened. And then I remember my dad calling me back. He went to church the next morning. So my parents are serving in this church. This is the man that brought my parents to the Lord that oh, baptized wow. my parent, baptized my parents. And so for him, you know, for my dad, it was like, what is that like, yeah. you know, to find out your daughter's sleeping with your pastor, yeah. a man that's older than you, honestly, right. like that's awful. Right. Like for him, that's awful. And so he called me after church and he said, tell me it's not real. Like, tell me this is not, mm. this didn't happen. And I still was like, dad, I can't, I can't tell you that. Like, I can't talk about it, but I can't tell you that. Um, and then like just the days of that, like, I mean, obviously I could never go back to church. I lost all my friends. Everybody turned their back on me. Everybody, he continued to stay in ministry and mm. continue to pastor and everybody blamed me. It was all my fault. Wow. And so I had to take all that on. And so I moved back in with my parents and I mean, just overnight, my entire life changed. Yeah. And so that's when I kind of fell back into a deep depression. Um, I went right back into using because what else do you do right. in a situation like that? Um, and then, so to answer your original question, like how long did it last? That kind of jump 
jump-started their divorce process. They did eventually end up getting a divorce. Um, but it continued for like six more years. Wow. After that. Yeah. Um, Man. Yeah. I want to go back for a second to, you know, this idea of like your dad finding out. Um, so many layers of, of that right there that I'm sure was really hard for you, really hard for him. Um, in fact, you know, after you reached out, you kind of share with us the other time that you shared with this public, shared this story publicly where you and your dad are talking about this at your church. And, um, I imagine, I mean, I think we build these constructs with Christian leaders and pastors that we revere and we admire so much that, um, even when one of them makes a much lesser offense than, you know, having an affair, we can be disappointed. I imagine your dad was probably, I mean, extremely disappointed in this man and you, all of that. Um, before we kind of jump into how you were processing through this stuff and, and how God really rescued out of, rescued you out of that, if you can share with us a little bit about kind of your parents' response, your dad's response, what you saw him go through and the anguish you saw him go through in this. Yeah. So I think growing up in a family of addiction and just kind of our own dysfunction, you don't talk about things. Mm. And so up until the last month or two, we never talked about it. Mm. We had one conversation where he was like, just tell me if it's real. Tell me did it happen. And that was it. Wow. It never. And so those were the questions I was asking him of like, why didn't you say anything? Like, why didn't we talk about this? And I think he just, one, didn't know how to handle it um, or how to talk about it with me, but I think he just didn't want to own it. Yeah. And so when we had the opportunity to do this storyteller series at church together, I knew instantly, like, I need to talk to my dad. And mm. selfishly, I knew it was going to bring us healing. And so we just relived the story for the first time. And it was, it happened 10 years ago. Yeah. And wow. so we're just reliving it now and experience having some of these conversations um, for the first time and really just letting go a lot of that. Wow. Um, which has been crazy. Can you tell us what that what that's been like? Give us some just kind of some yeah, so insight first, into those conversations with um, your dad. So I sent him a bunch of questions in an email and I was like, hey, this is where we're going. The, or I told him about I sent him the first series podcast. Yeah. And uh, I was like, hey, this is what I want to do. He's like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, I want to talk about my affair. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh. And I was like, so we have to talk about it. So I drove up to Chicago. Um, we tried to talk about it. And he's like, just give me the questions. Like, just give me the questions. I'm going to think on them. And I was like, dad, we're doing this in two weeks. So then he comes down the night before and I'm like, dad, we have to talk about it. He's like, I'm kind of tired. Mm -hmm. and I was like, we're doing this tomorrow. Like, we have to talk about it. So the next morning I read through all of my notes to him and he was like, okay, I'm gonna go pray about it. I'm gonna go think about it. I'm like, no, I like, you can't answer these questions for the first time in front of a hundred and something people. Like when I'm hearing them for the first time, but for him, he had to, like, he couldn't, we just couldn't have that conversation. So honestly, there's still kind of conversations we're having. Right. It's just kind of started to open that door. Um, but I can tell you like, I mean, we've been more open and candid mm. with each other and asked, I learned a ton about him. Like, I didn't know that he grew up in like an addicted home with yeah. alcohol abuse and drugs and that kind of stuff. So I've learned so much about like my background and my history and just kind of how he operates. Um, 
through all that. And I'm kind of hoping since then he hasn't served in a church. Mm. He hasn't regularly attended church. And I think that's how it affected him, you know, following this man and this public figure and pastor. And then this happens. And so I'm really hoping and praying that this is going to be the next step in healing for him to where like that can be a part of his story and his journey, you know, but I'm just thankful that he was willing to do it. And, um, that, you know, we're just kind of starting as a family to heal from it. Right. 10 years later. Wow. Which is crazy. I'm interrupting this important conversation for a really great reason. We want to make sure you know about all of the resources that are available to our Nothing is Wasted community. If you haven't heard us talk about it before, we have created a program that we want to make as value-adding as possible to your healing journey. Beyond the inspiration we all receive from our incredible conversations with our podcast guests, we want to make sure we are always taking it a step further by encouraging transformation in your life. One way we do this is with our monthly partner program. By making a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation to our partner program, anyone can access resource-driven content that goes above and beyond our normal conversations. For $5 a month, you can access a monthly bonus episode, five to 10-minute supplementary commentaries, and be the first in line for any special announcements or events that we may have. For $10 a month, you can access everything from the $5 a month tier, plus full videos of most of our podcast recordings and a once a month teaching video where I share lessons I've learned during my own healing journey. Finally, for our $20 a month partners, you're able to access everything from the lower giving tiers, plus a monthly live Q&A with my beautiful wife, Christy, and myself. In addition, our $20 a month partners receive discounts on nothing as wasted coaching and events. I know this seems like a lot because it is. We want your support to this ministry to be mutually beneficial. So please take advantage of all of these resources as you consider setting up this partnership with us. To find out more information about this program, head to nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Again, nothingiswasted.com slash partners. Now let's get back to our episode. So Sarah, this affair, it was going on for six years. And um, at some point, God really rescues you out of it. But while you're in it for six years, I'm sure there were some things that God was doing to really try to get your attention, trying, trying to pull you up out of this. Can you talk to us a little bit about getting the weeds of those six years? What were you experiencing? What was, the, what was going on in your heart during that time? Yeah. Um, so there were plenty of times in the six years where God tried to get my attention, tried to pull me out, would put me in environments with people or um, I would find a church and start serving again and open up to whoever that I felt was safe, you know, not just anybody, and would share kind of what was happening and what was going on. And they would rally around me and, you know, try and help me to get away from this relationship, to walk away from this man. And for whatever reason, um, I never could. I could Mm. never. He had such a strong hold on my life that I could never fully pull away from him. And I think there was a a short time where I did um, change my phone number and, you know, cut him off about a six month span. And that was really, it was like when I had those moments of clarity or I wasn't in that relationship or I was brave enough to walk away from it, that the Lord would really start to speak and do things. And so there was, you know, one time it's, you know, I talked about being in Louisville or moving to do this church plant. 
where I was in church one day and I don't necessarily believe in like the audible voice of God. I don't feel like I've ever heard him audibly. Mm. Like I think God speaks through his word and through people and you know, different things. But I was in church and this guy was speaking and it was a guest speaker. And I literally felt like I heard he was talking about this church plant, what he's going to do. And he had a message all about like, there's always hope. And I was I like almost audibly, I don't even know what it was, literally heard like, you're supposed to go with them. Mm. Like to the point where I like turned around and I was like, did that just happen? Mm. And then weird things over the next couple of days, like I would see signs for Kentucky or like commercials on TV. And so really like making that choice to move was a huge part in getting, like removing myself from the situation. Mm. But still, I mean, even after I moved, it was still, I mean, almost two years before I could fully let go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, being in the weeds of it, like, I mean, I just allow, you know, now looking back, I'm like, wow, how was I? Because now I'm so independent and so yeah. make my own decisions, do all my own things. But like, I mean, I let this man control every aspect of my mm. life. Um, I mean, to the point where like from what I could wear to who I could hang out with to where I could go, I mean, to paying my bills, like I was financially dependent on him. And so he really... I mean, just throughout the, like, he just had such a stronghold on my life, essentially mm. to where, like, honestly, he kind of became almost like a God to me, where, like, yeah. everything, you know, would rise and fall on, like, what he said and what I could do. And so, like, when you're in it, you can't really see outside of it, right? you know? Yeah, I was just about to ask you, I mean, it's, you know, it sounds like he had a stronghold on you, but, like, have you identified what that stronghold was in you? Because there's something, you know, there's something deeper than, like, this man as a, man as a person that had a stronghold yeah. what did what did you begin to uncover as you were real, kind of wrestling through that how did that stronghold break and what was that stronghold in um, your life <laughs> I think I'm still kind of trying to figure it out mm. honestly I think I still am experiencing layers of healing and layers yeah. of freedom um, I'm a huge advocate for counseling mm -hmm. still see a counselor and even now as I'm starting to share the story more publicly we're unpacking things right for the first time. Right. Um, so I don't know if I can answer that yes cause, yet because I don't know if I really, I think I'm still kind of in real time trying to dig into that. Yeah. And so, I mean, the story is definitely not over. I mean, right. the healing's definitely not over. Um, well, that makes a lot of sense because strongholds are broken when you, when you bring them to light. Yeah. And so, you know, this is early on in the process for you of bringing this to light and... So it's still, you're still trying to uncover what that stronghold is as you bring it to light. The more you do, the more that that will uh, eliminate the power that it has over you uh, slowly, but but eventually it will. And so I, I definitely think the more you share this, the more you're going to start seeing that freedom and that power uh, begin to diminish. Yeah, that's the goal. Life. I mean, honestly, yeah, that's the goal to get to that place. What were some of the things... As you removed yourself from that situation, what God's kind of been showing you some things about that situation, about yourself, about Him, most importantly. What are some of these things that you've learned about God as you've been kind of walking this journey? Gosh, I think just like how faithful He is and how like He loves me in spite of me. Like mm. I think people ask when I share, they're like, why did you stay so long? like six years, you know, that's a long time to be stuck in yeah. that kind of relationship. And I think there was a part of me that like, 
I thought God was done with me. Like I was like, look what I did to this family. Look what I did to this mm. church. And I take a lot of like, and this is still something like in real time we're working through in counseling. I take a lot of the blame for what happened and I take a lot of the ownership um, and carry a lot of maybe that shame and that guilt that comes with it. Now, obviously he played a part, a huge part. He was older than me, a pastor. There's all yeah. those things, but I don't really identify. I don't identify with like that victim role. Like mm. I really carry the like, I played a big part in this. And so that's kind of something we're walking through mm. in real time. Um, but I think just like his faithfulness, like if you look back or try to like, if I try to recount the story, like I can just see his hand in everything. And like, I might've been ignoring him. I might've been afar from him, but he was right there yeah. the whole time. And like, Hey, I'm here. Like, come back. Like, I love you. Mm. I want you. Um, you know, I like, let me show you what real love is. And I'd experienced that. I mean, I experienced that at mercy. Like I knew that. And so just kind of like almost relearning or just remembering, you know, him being like, Hey, like I'm here, you know, like right. I, I haven't gone anywhere, like come back to me. And then when you do the grace, even as I've been sharing my story or even, I mean, just like my marriage is a testament of that. Like I mm. never thought there would be a guy that would love me or me. I mean, the day we started dating, I was like, Hey, I need to tell you about this because like, if you have any kind of out, it's now mm. like, you need to know what happened. And he was like, okay, like, mm. I don't know you as that girl. Like, I love you and we're going to do this thing, you know? And I never, I never thought that I would get that. And so just, yeah. and I mean, little things and big things, like I, you know, I was intimately involved in this family. Intimate's probably the wrong word. <laughs> but, <laughs> That's awful. Yeah, yeah. But I was such a part of this family. Right. You know, I never thought someone would trust me with their kids again or around their husband again. Right. And now here I am, very close with two families mm. that I get to travel with again, that I get to, I mean, all these things that I get to do that I thought I was done or that God was never going to allow into my mm. life that I get back. So just like his grace and his mercy of like, okay, anything that you do, whatever, I can use it if you let me, yeah. you know? And so I think just those kind of things, like experiencing that in real time of like, man, he's just so freaking good. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly. Yeah. Have you had to um, work through anything in regards to, you know, you're helping out at a church plant right now in regards to like how you view um, that figure of the pastor. Yeah. Like talk to me about that a little bit, you know, because you know, there's definitely this whole story of this like. There's so many dynamics. Yeah, a lot of dynamics in the way that, you know, you viewed this this pastor in your life. And now you're beginning to learn what it looks like a proper way to kind of view yeah. a healthy way to view um, a spiritual leader in your life. Have you tell me what you guys have had to work through when it comes to that? It honestly, it's been like a breath of fresh air to just be around healthy people, mm. like people that I don't think really, honestly, up until the last three years, my entire life, I lived some kind of element of like a double life. And so to be around people that are just real and transparent and there are no secrets or, you know, I lived yeah. with this family. So I saw the, the public and the private. Um, and so just to be around people that like what you see on a Sunday mm. morning or what you see in a leadership meeting is what you see on a Wednesday night when you're having dinner with them, or, I mean, we're just living life together. And so to see like, Hey, there are good people out there right. and, um, it doesn't have to be this way and you can, you know, and that's just another redemptive part of like right. getting, you know, getting to be a part of something like that and seeing that. And so it's been, it's been easy, honestly. And I was yeah. very, 
it took me a couple years to even share with my pastor. Like when I moved to Kentucky, they didn't know any of this. Mm. And so when I sat down with them, I was like, Hey, you need to know, like when I was fully ready to break away from the relationship, there's a whole bunch that came with that. But I was like, you need to know about this and fully, I think I was afraid to share it because like when you share something so big as that, you think all the worst case scenario of like what could happen or what they're going to say, you know, are they going to kick me out? Are they going to make me leave? Like, are they still going to use me? And it was nothing but grace. Mm. Um, It was nothing like they didn't take any of my responsibilities away from me. Mm. You know, one of our core values of a church is like, this is a safe place to fail, Mm. which sounds really cool. And like, it looks cool on a plaque, but like when you're the person that needs that, it's so real and so powerful. And that's what it was. And so, you know, I remember having that conversation with him and him being like, you know, we love you. We're going to support you in this. Like, we're going to hold you accountable to it. Um, you know, you have this call in your life to preach. You have this call in your life to teach. And like, I'm not going to let you yet. Like, I want to let you use my platform and I want to share it with you. But like, you've got to do the work and get through some Mm -hmm. of this stuff before you can get to that place. And so he kind of put me on the bench and he was like, keep serving in the capacity you are. And like, when you feel like you're ready for this, like, then let's have that conversation. And so just having somebody that, and immediately he was like, okay, you know, I have to tell my wife. Right. Mm. And so even that, like just that dynamic of their relationship and like, we're not hiding this from anybody, you know? And I mean, he was respectful and to not share it with anybody else, but like, Hey, we're a team. Right. Like we don't do things behind each other's back. And like, even that of just like, yes, yeah, like yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah. So imagine it was so refreshing to see oh my that gosh. Yeah. those dynamics actually playing Absolutely. out in front of you. Um, how did you know you were ready? then, cause now you're a part of this teaching team. Yeah. What does that look like for you? How, what was that process of sorting through, processing through, healing through some of this stuff? Because in all of our stories, we're always a work in progress, but you're right. There is an element at which you're like, I think the sports analogy is probably the best analogy. You used it already. He put you on the bench for a little bit. Yeah. There's a time where, when we are in the throes of healing, we're too injured to be in the game. And you found yourself in a place where you were too, you were too injured, Yeah, you know, emotionally, um, spiritually, you know, mentally just too injured to be in the game. Although you felt this call that God had placed on your life and this anointing that he was preparing you for to be able to preach and teach and not just share your story, but also just share the story of Jesus, the gospel. But for a season you were too injured to be in the game. What did that look like for you to get to a place where you were ready to now go out on the field and play? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was definitely a process. It was, you know, having to get real. Um, it was bringing, bringing it to light, cutting off that relationship for the final and last time. It was surrounding myself with accountability. It was getting back into the word regularly. Um, it was a lot of counseling. It was a lot of just doing the hard work that nobody sees because I mean, mind you, like nobody else in my life in Kentucky, I mean, people in Chicago knew, but nobody in my life, nobody on our team knew. And Mm. so I'm doing all this work and still kind of trying to keep this brave face. And it's all the hard stuff that nobody sees, Yeah, you know, it's all the, the lonely nights and the counseling sessions and, um, quite honestly, like the gallons of ice cream (laughs) and the ways that you try to like, yeah, you know, get yourself through that. But it was just kind of, it hurts your ego a little bit to be put on the bench. Like, Mm -hmm. no, I'm ready. I can do this. And so being able to trust somebody to allow them to be like, nope, you're not ready yet. Like when you think you're ready, let's have that conversation. Um, but just to, 
honestly not run, I think too, like yeah. stay planted where I was at mm. and not, cause it happened several times. I'd get plugged into a church, tell them my story, wasn't ready to do the work or wasn't fully ready to leave. And then I would just leave the church yeah. and just cut off all those relationships. And so I think there's a lot of power in staying That's good, yeah. of kind of being seen and then not going anywhere right. and like allowing people to, you know, kind of walk through that with me. So right. yeah, I think well, that's a big part of it. Especially in a ministry context, you have to walk through a, a season of what traditionally is called restoration. Yeah. A season where you do submit yourself to a spiritual authority. I find it really interesting, the dynamics of your story and that there was a, there's an element in your story where you submitted yourself to a spiritual authority that was dysfunctional. Yeah. And now you're submitting yourself to a spiritual authority that's healthy. And it looks totally different because one is, um, one caused a lot of abuse in your life, for lack of a better term, right? Caused a lot of hardship and, and you, you know, readily said that you, you submitted yourself to that. I mean, yeah. you were, you're, you're not taking the victim mentality in that. But another one is protecting you. Another one's saying, no, I'm, I'm going to, provide a safe place for you right here to flourish, to heal and flourish and all that God has built into you. And this redemptive thing that he's doing inside of your story. And when I look at your story, as we're having this conversation, I go, God's redeeming this false image right yeah, here. All of it. By bringing people into your life. And the, I think the deciding factor for you was exactly what you just said, stay. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor we saw people come in broken, hurting, who we found out later they had hopped from church to church to church trying the and same did, things. But yeah. the reason that they did not experience breakthrough, healing, the strongholds being broken is because they weren't ready to put in that work. They weren't ready to be in the trenches and in the process and go, you know what? Now my story is fully exposed to everybody and yet I'm going to stay yeah. So that's what I'm experiencing now yeah. because, you know, we just shared the story publicly for the first time and nobody, I mean, my close friends, like people I would consider my best friends in Kentucky, nobody had heard this part of my story. Mm. And we just shared it maybe like a month ago. And people were like, how did that feel? Like, how do you feel after? And I'm like, it's hard to show up that yeah. next Sunday. There was a lot of anxiety of like, man, now I have to go back. Like yeah. I just, my dad got to go home. Like he doesn't have to deal with it. And I'm like, okay, now it's out there. Now people right. know. And I, so it's like, I'm reliving it all over again. Right. Like, but there's power in that and showing, I mean, showing up and just being seen. And there's yeah. just so much freedom, I think, in transparency and vulnerability. Right. And then the amount of people that come to you after and want to share their stuff, mm. like, because you were willing to go first, essentially, um, you know, that they want to share their stories and you're like, oh, okay. Like yeah. you, you shared yours, like, now let me you tell you, which is like yeah. a whole nother, like carrying the weight of somebody else's story. <laughs> that's like a whole nother thing, but it's beautiful. It's the same not to be trusted with it, yep. you know? And yep. um, yeah, it's really, really cool. But yeah. still, I mean, like a current theme that we're walking through or I'm wow. walking through. And Well, this that's the definition of intimacy, true intimacy for, in a biblical church, like community context. It's this idea of, and I, this is so cliche, I can't remember the first time I heard <laughs> first person I heard say this, I'm not sure who it was, but intimacy is into me, you see. You see <laughs> it's everything. It's a little cheesy, but... It's cheesy, it's that's so for sure. It's so true, though. It's but it so helps true. me remember, you see everything about me and you still accept me. And yeah. this is what this is what church community, right? Church community should be like, hey, you see everything about me and you still accept me and yet you love me so much that you're going to walk me in this process. This is Jesus. 
he rescues us up out of the miry clay, sets our feet on a rock, and he goes, okay, we're not going to stay here. We're going to yeah. heal, and I love you too much. It's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay not okay. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you in this process, and there's going to be a time where you are going to be on the bench, but ultimately, out of this, you're going to have a, redemption, a redemptive story, and out of your misery, it's going to be turned into a ministry. Come on, you want another cliche? <laughs> cheesy phrase right there. It's real though. But it's true. Yeah. It's true in the sense that Jesus is faithful and he's good that he will walk us through this as we begin to expose these things to light. And we go, as hard as this is, people can see everything that I am, all my junk, all of this stuff. And I'm choosing to submit myself to that right there in that place. You, you talked about a counsel, counseling. Mm-hmm. This has been a huge part of Yeah. what are some things... Um, that your counselor has really shared with you? What are the big things that you've learned out of some of these counseling sessions? Oh, gosh. So first of all, there's a difference between like having a counselor and going to counseling and then like really putting in the work. Mm. You know, you can go, like I can go and like small talk. Right. All the things and say all the things I think she wants to hear. And I've done that before. And then like immediately made another appointment of like, okay, that I just wasted your time and my money. Like, let's really talk about what we need to talk about. So she's really good of just pulling things. I mean, we just had a session last week and I said for the first time or identified with this man of like, yeah, I used to call him dad. Mm. That never like really crossed my mind or like I never thought about that before. And then um, another thing I said was like, I called myself a weak little girl Mm. and I'm still trying to unpack that of like, wow, okay, those words came out of your mouth. What does that look like? And how do you process that? And what, you know, she was talking about how, you know, I've lived a lot of my life of like life was happening to me Mm. and just kind of like in defense mode, trying to like react to it. And now trying to spin that of like, you know, now we're just in a different place where you don't have to be in defense mode. You don't have to put up these walls. Um, You don't have to put on the facade. Like you can just be Sarah. Like it's okay. Um, And especially being like newly married, Mm. counseling and like walking through all this stuff with her has been, I mean, she's constantly reminding me like your husband is an emotionally healthy human. Like Mm. you can communicate with him. Like you don't have to hide these things from him or like whatever it is, you know? And like I said, he knows about, you know, all of this stuff, but just having somebody like a space where you can go to like, she doesn't know me. She doesn't follow me on social media. Like she has no reason to like fake it or like give me fluff. Like she's just going to talk real to me and she's going to allow me that safe place where like, she can't tell anybody what I say. Like, unless I'm, you know, going to hurt myself or hurt somebody else. Like she's got to keep it quiet. Mm. And there's just so much freedom of that of like, I can just go in there and just unload and she's not going to fall out of her chair. Like I'm not going to say something that she's never heard before. And so there's just been so much freedom in that of like just that safe place to just unpack with not caring what the other person's going to think, right, you know, because right. I think sharing it in other places or, you know, with people is that fear of like, well, what are they going to think about me? Or are they going to treat me differently? Or, you know, all those fears that come with, yep. you know, secrets and that kind of stuff. So, and that's a safe place where that doesn't, mm. that's not a thing. So if you were sitting across the table, having some coffee at Calvin and Fletcher's downtown Indianapolis. Shout out Calvin and Fletcher. <laughs> um, if you were there with another girl who you knew was in a situation where they were like, they were in over their heads and this kind of, maybe it's not an affair, but it's something that they've been keeping a secret and you're going, there's a stronghold in your life and it needs to be broken, but you've got to take the first step. What would you tell this, this girl? Um, I think I would tell them to find, find help. 
like one, I think I would thank them for like being real and vulnerable with me, but allowing, I mean, the game changer for me has been the people that I've allowed into my life that I've allowed to speak into my life. The people that have asked for accountability, I mean, you can have an accountability partner, but it's really on you to make that work. You know, like you, I just have people that can ask you the hard questions and really just keep showing up. Mm. Um, keep putting in the work and probably honestly just starting like even more basic of just like reminding them like you're better than this. Mm. You know, I think when I look back at my story and I'm like, how did I let that happen for so long of just like, you are worth so much more and to not settle. I remember when I was like coming out of my relationship because a lot of our relationship, even in the end was like literally climbing in and out of windows Mm. and you know, being in the car and, you know, whatever. And this woman said to me, she said, Sarah, you're a front door girl. Hmm. Like you're somebody that like people, you know, you want to be introduced to family. Like you want somebody to, you want to proudly be able to be on somebody's arm and walk through the front door. So I remember when my husband, Hmm. we were dating at the time, but he moved to Louisville and he gave me a key to his apartment. And I was like, I'm a front door girl. Like, yes, like (laughs) this is, you know, this is it. And so that's honestly probably what I would say is like, you're a front door girl. Mm. Like you are worth so much more than this. Like, and trying to help them see that because if you don't see that in yourself, like if you don't love yourself, I mean, how do you teach other people how to love you? Like if you don't respect yourself and know what you're worth, then you're going to allow people to treat you like that, Mm. you know? And I mean, there's power in, good or bad and like allowing people to speak into your life. You know, so the things he was speaking over my life were holding me hostage. Then I have people that are speaking life into me and that's so freeing. And there's so much power in that of who you choose to spend time with and you know, who you choose to allow to speak into your life. Right. So probably a mixture of all of those things. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you know, the reason that you're worth so much more is because you're a daughter of the King and that can sound really cliche as well. But at the end of the day, Jesus loved you, Sarah. He loved every single woman that's listening to this right now. Every single man that's listening to this right now. He loved you so much personally that he went to the cross. And that's something that we're right now, we we were given some really good advice to just really speak that over our kids' lives right now. Is like, hey, Jesus loves you so so much. You're so valuable. You're so cherished. You are his prized possession. And let me tell you how much he loves you. He gave his life for you. And that right there is the, I mean, that's the power that breaks the strongholds. That's the power that sets new identities. Well, letting that be kind of like the, like the bar or like the, the limit. I don't know the word I'm looking for, but like letting that be the thing that you compare everybody else to. Exactly. You know, that's the kind of love. Yeah. Like you have access to a man that loves you, mm. that speaks life over you, um, you know, that teaches you that, I mean, that should be the, what we're comparing that's relationships right. and men or whatever to, like, that's the ultimate, like, hey, is that man chasing after him? Right. Because if that's what's, <laughs> if that's where we're at, then, you know, that's where we need to go. So yeah, yeah I love that. Man. And speaking of the life of your daughter. Yeah. So that like when she's a teenager or some boy comes walking, like she's going to know, like it's just, right. that's going to be her normal of like, nope. You know, a, I love that. There's a lot of things competing for her heart right now. Yeah. Um, even at uh, almost a six-year-old, you know, culture is competing for her heart right now. Sometimes I'm like, where did you learn that dance move? <laughs> Hold on a second. <laughs> that's not, you know, I mean, the things that um, in this young girl's heart, she is beginning to start, you know, become... Uh, distracted by or enamored by already. Yeah. 
and the things that she recognizes gets attention. And I can already see it. that The enemy is trying to both, you know, and it's different with a boy. It's, you know, two different dynamics, but, um, the enemy and this, and this world are competing for their hearts. And so, um, that's something that doesn't change though, when we are 21, right. when we're yeah. you know, older and stuff, the, the world is continuing to put those competing messages. The enemy's trying to put those competing messages into our heart. And we have to constantly be reminded, no, 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 there is a, there is a, there is a God man that laid his life down, stretched out his arms and went through the most gruesome possible death to demonstrate how much he loves me. Has anybody else in this world done that? No. Yeah. No. You know, so that's the standard of love right there. That's the bar. Sarah, you're brave in sharing this. Um, I admire your courage. You are, um, you are initiating, I know continuing, but initiating a really powerful healing process by sharing this story. And uh, I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Keep shedding light on it. Keep staying planted. Um, Keep doing the hard things and showing up as well. Yeah. Because uh, I believe God's going to use it in a powerful way. Yeah. So, awesome. Thanks so much for sharing yeah. it with us. Thank you so much for having me and allowing me to. And I think that's the thing is people are like, why are you sharing this now? Like whatever. And I'm just like, this is the next level of healing. Mm. This is where I'm at. Yep. Um, so who knows what's going to come next or, you know, what'll come from it, but it's changing my life. And that's really all that matters at the end of the day. It's great. So thank you so much. Yeah. Incredible interview with Sarah. Mel, before you and I talk about it a little bit, we're going to kick it over to one of our resident counselors, Julie Dodson, just like we're doing on all of the episodes in this sexual betrayal series. So listen to what Julie has to say about this. I am so proud of Sarah's ardent decision to accept complete responsibility for herself and her choices. This is a very foundational requirement for any intentional change to occur. And of course, there's no question but that we're all impacted by our unique histories and certainly by our parents, especially as very young children. We have no responsibility for what we experienced as young children or even by others we cannot control as adults. At the same time, there comes a point where it is healthiest and most mature to intentionally choose to accept complete responsibility for who we are going forward. Change and blame are mutually exclusive. Let me say that again. Change and blame are mutually exclusive. This is because the possibility of change does not even occur to us as long as we're blaming someone or something else for our circumstances. And even if the idea of personal change occurs to us, it just makes no sense while we're hanging on to blaming something external. Conversely, as soon as we begin to make changes in ourselves, the blame no longer makes sense. So while blaming someone or something outside ourselves can be pretty enticing, at least for a while, the stark reality is that such blame is guaranteed to keep us exactly where we are right now. So blame is more of a prison, robbing us of our freedom and power than anything else. This is not even remotely about blaming ourselves for things over which we have no control. It is about recognizing that as long as we choose to blame something or someone else, we have no power or control to improve who we are or what we are experiencing. Choosing to stop focusing on blaming others or external circumstances is necessary to allow room for us to choose what change is actually possible within ourselves. This leads to another dynamic which is helpful for us to keep in mind. 
You cannot have responsibility for something over which you have no authority and vice versa. It is not appropriate to have authority without commensurate responsibility. Either you have both or neither. It is tempting for us to accept or assume responsibility for things that are completely outside our control. However, allowing ourselves to spend our energies where we have no ability to choose change is not only useless, it can lead us to feel discouraged and even crazy. This only distracts us from reasonable attention and efforts toward areas for which we are fully responsible and are the only ones who can make necessary changes in our own minds, hearts, attitudes, expectations, and intentions. Choosing to keep our focus where we have power and control and therefore the opportunity to create change is far more encouraging, hopeful, and productive. Sarah mentioned that her pastor confided in her about frustrations in his marriage. This is a huge red flag. I remember stating quite firmly to a client many years ago when she seemed completely oblivious of the line she'd already crossed when assuring me that she and a male confidant only shared things about their respective spouses and marriages to encourage each other and to pray together. I asked her when the last time was that she'd prayed with her own husband about their marriage. She was tragically silent in response to that question. And I suggested to her that they were already in very dangerous territory, as this is a type of intimate conversation which should only be between spouses or very carefully selected wise counsel, persons with whom there's no possibility of it negatively impacting your most intimate relationship. The dangerous line had already been crossed at that point. So be aware of potentially unsafe, unwise, boundary-crossing choices. Many wrong choices, and certainly infidelity by someone who is not a predator, occur as a result of multiple unwise, unsafe, inappropriate, unhealthy, or disrespectful choices made perhaps over days, weeks, months, or even years. This means that we often have much room and opportunity to make different choices, which will lead to healthier results. This goes back to what I mentioned initially, that change really requires a clear recognition that I am responsible for my own choices. There are many things we will never be able to control in this life and in others. So it makes sense for us to choose to place our attention and efforts where we have the greatest likelihood for creating change. Don't lie to yourself that you did not mean this to happen. You did not mean to hurt anyone else or yourself. Well, of course, that may very well be true. Such sentiments are not helpful in making different choices. In fact, they serve to dull one's conscience to the realities of danger and remove appropriate, healthy, and necessary responsibility from us, which will definitely interfere with our tendency to intentionally choose differently in the future. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for your thoughts. As always, we are so appreciative and um, they are so great. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, next week we have another episode from this sexual betrayal series. And this one I'm particularly, it does. And I'm particularly excited about this one because um, I I heard Justin and Trisha's story a long time ago, uh, I guess when we were planting a church, just because I knew about another church planter and we had some mutual friends and, um, and, but what's really interesting is everybody kept telling me as we were planting a church and as we were going through pastoring, you've got to get connected with Justin Davis. You've got to get connected. Never did I get connected. I mean, for years and years living in Indiana, never connected with them until we did this interview. 
finally really? we got an opportunity to sit down and not just strike up a friendship, but also talk about he and Trisha's story. So you're definitely going to want to listen to next week's episode. Um, Davey, it's so interesting that you um, probably connected with Justin on a conversation that you probably weren't expecting to have right. with him. Right. But it's so sweet to see the Lord have you guys, your paths cross. Yeah. So I love that. Well, um, before we close out, we want to thank Ryan at Sleeping at Last. He provides all of the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast, and we are so grateful. So thank you, Ryan. Um, check him out uh, and his music at any place that music can be streamed. And um, like Davey said, we're going to have more episodes about sexual betrayal next week. And here is a clip from Justin and Trisha's interview. We go on a cruise for our 10-year anniversary. We come back from the cruise, and we just began to drift really quickly. Mm. And, um, you know, the cruise allowed us to change our behavior for a few days, but neither of us really had to change our heart. And over the next few months, that's where it really became a crisis point. And Trish, you know, reached out for help from some people in our in our church, some elders in our church, and they just they couldn't see it either. They they just they felt like she was exaggerating, kind of making a, a mountain out of a molehill. And all of this culminated on October 9th, two thousand five. I came home from church, and Trish was laying down for an afternoon nap. And I said, "Hey, we need to have a conversation." And she said, "Okay, about what?" And I said, "About us." She's like, "Well, what about us?" And I said, "I'm done." And she's like, "You're you're done with what?" But I'm done with you. I'm out. I don't want to be married anymore. I don't want to be in ministry anymore. I'm not in love with you. I'm having an affair. It's with your best friend, and I want to be with her. 